What if you could learn from physical product entrepreneurs that have risen up from the trenches to dominating their market by creating successful physical product brands? Well, this podcast is hosted by me, Kunay Campbell, and it's about breaking the mold to becoming a smarter, savvier, and better product entrepreneur. You discover how to take physical products from concept through launch and to scaling up from physical product entrepreneurs who've taken their revolutionary ideas to 1 million, 10 million, and 50 million plus in revenue businesses. You'll also join me on my journey to build a million dollar physical product brand business in a year, where we both will learn about crowdfunding, selling to retail chains, launching through marketplaces like Amazon, strategic partnerships, publicity, celebrity endorsements, and selling direct to consumers. So if you're creating or building a brand in the consumer packaged goods space, in fashion and apparel, business products, or any physical product niche, listen in because we have you covered. Join the fast track to physical product business success. This is the Physical Product Business Podcast. I'm Kune Campbell. Let's get rolling. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Physical Product Business Podcast, part of the 2X e-commerce podcast. And I will be talking with, well, what I just consider, who I consider an expert. She's a brand licensing expert and a, pretty much a product expert. Um, I'm just going to give you a summary. She's turned around the Four Paws brand, which is a pet, you know, brand. She's worked with the House of Mali brand to, to launch it from ground up. She's worked with NASA. She's um, helped expand brand licensing for, for Black & Decker. And she has recently just launched an active brand where um, for well-endowed women on Kickstarter. It's a bra, you know, active bra rather, um, where on, on Kickstarter. And she's also a co-contributor or contributing author to um, Product Manager's Handbook. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce Elise. Elise, welcome to, to the Physical Product Podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, could you take a minute or less to kind of, you know, introduce yourself to, to tell to, to to let our audience, you know, know know a bit about you? Absolutely. So I, my career has been an interesting one. I started off on a more traditional marketing front and moved quickly into the product development space because I became fascinated with this philosophy that innovation could really come from and should come from anywhere. And tying in the upfront marketing, the people who sit in a room and come up and generate ideas all day based on what consumer feedback is giving, then talking to customers, so the people who actually put that product on a shelf to the people who are actually manufacturing the product, knowing what some of the challenges are from an engineering and a production standpoint, Bringing those folks together, that became a passion. And from there, my my uh, career took an interesting path in and out of corporate America and consulting and eventually launching my own company about five years ago called AHA Product Solutions. Got it. And you're based out in San Francisco, is that right? San Francisco, San it's it's on my bucket list of area. places to in the Bay Area. I would most certainly visit in in the next year or so. Okay, right. So oh yeah, you'll have to let me know <laughs> Absolutely, and we should hook up for a coffee or something. Yes. So let's yeah. talk about. So am I right in saying you're a product expert? You know, you, you your 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 expertise lies in developing and launching products to market. 
Yes, absolutely. You would be 100% correct in calling me something along those lines. It's always difficult to take that name expert. But yes, I worked on a wide variety of products from beginning stages, something where it's an idea on a piece of paper, all the way through the production process, some more simple, some more complex, uh, sometimes jumping in in the middle of a project, quite frankly, to problem solve. But yes, my passion is really physical products and you, seeing them through to fruition. Fantastic. You've most certainly put your 10,000 hours into, you know, um, into what you do. Into, into, in, into <laughs> so, so, so I will qualify you as you an expert. A lot of tears. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Okay, so um, let's start out from, um, I would say let's start out from an entrepreneur. So lots of listeners are entrepreneurs. They're physical product entrepreneurs. They might be, you know, they might be selling on Amazon. They might be, you know, um, selling private label products. They might be selling, might have developed their own products themselves. And they're uh -huh. looking to kind of accelerate the sales their sales by licensing via licensing what do you think are right. the first steps um to they should take in order to kind of you know get into the brand licensing space you know they're probably looking at um top brands you know and um they're saying okay how could we right. sort of brand some of our products or how could we develop completely new products and sort of get the license right. there, you know, hire the license and then, you know, go to market. What, what do you think would be the first steps? I would say talking to consumers, making sure it's a symbiotic relationship. Because licensing is a very complex world. There's a lot of folks that are out there. Obviously these brands that are established brands <coughs> have done a phenomenal job building themselves, building the loyalty with their consumers, um, and they usually have a very strong understanding of where that name can and cannot play. And so working with a, an established brand, they're happy to share those insights with you if you can, in fact, prove that you can share insights back. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a great example. When, um, when I was working with Black & Decker, uh, we were talking about getting into the home office environment. And Black & Decker, believe it or not, um, has done an amazing job taking themselves from a company that has that heart and soul in power tools and expanding into things like coffee makers, mm. refrigerators, toys for children. And so when we started talking about this home office space, which was growing exponentially, we said, all right, well, we have to be careful, obviously, with the Black & Decker name, but consumers feel it can play elsewhere. So the company that I was representing, a company called Hometics, had a wide range of home products, uh, everything from the health management through to audio. And in this case, a company that they had recently acquired was doing paper shredders. And so it was an easy tie-in. We talked to consumers. Consumers actually already felt the Black & Decker was, was making paper shredders, which is ironic. Uh, and... So it became an easy conversation between the, the two companies saying, we can bring to the table the expertise in the product category, and Black & Decker saying, we can bring together the uh, brand loyalty piece. We work very closely to make sure that we understood what the brand language should be, what some of the consumer frustration points might be, and what our go-to-market strategy looked like. Because again, at the time, 
where's Black Decker selling well? Mass markets. Um, so that was, again, it was a nice symbiotic relationship. And they were have continued to be an excellent partner on many projects uh, okay. that I've worked on. Okay, so let's slice and dice the scenario here. You have, you have harmonics, if, if I pronounce it properly. Um, homedics. Home, homedics. And they're, they're like a manufacturing company right is, is is am i right to sort of classify them as a manufacturer or do they have their own brands that are selling to market yes they do okay so and then they approached black and decker and like you guys have a great brand it's going to be a win-win solution here are a suite of products you have them if you slap your label on it with a few more complexities you know um, understanding what the customer's needs are um we're going to build you out build out a range of like um, you know, home appliances basically to extend your product range, and um, we're right. going to go for a home run. And is 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 that absolutely okay? That that's what it was in summary. So so I suppose um, my question is, do do if you're thinking if an entrepreneur is thinking about going into licensing, should they have their manufacturing? Should they have a, a suite of products ready? you know and you know just ready should they have high competency in the production or manufacturing of, of particular line of products which could be candidates with potential brand partners licensing to me is very much about collaboration okay so it's an expensive venture right so no matter what the the licensor is going to charge an upfront fee as well as a royalty fee mm-hmm. so knowing that upfront it's not as easy as slapping a, a brand on something. You want it to be something where, again, there's a, a give and a get from both sides. So the licensee coming into this, yes, should have a very well thought out product line, but mm-hmm. know that they want the insights from the larger brand uh, that's that can help to develop this line. It also makes it so that when you go through the approval process, you're much more aligned and there's no surprises. There's nothing worse than going pretty far down the line in a project and all of a sudden it getting uh, the kibosh or it uh, it getting turned down because it doesn't meet a simple licensing standard. I see. Um, there are companies out there like Disney that license day in, day out, day in, day out that are very stringent about everything down to the color, the font size, the font type, where you can use certain characters, how they should be dressed in certain scenarios. Then there's others that um, are a little bit more open for discussion. Mm. So I would just say again, know who your uh, who your target is. Who your target is absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so we have the you know. So I think we should try another example. And what I like is um, the brand you, you 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 took from scratch to to to, yeah. to markets which was the house of mali um could you sort of take us into how it all started how what you what you know how you you know what what involved um if, if you Absolutely. if you don't mind so the marley family is a, it's a very interesting family um very close-knit a lot of children uh unfortunately bob marley passed away at an early age but still continues to have one of the strongest followings out there. Mm -hmm. And the family kind of, you know, they they kept taking a step back saying, if we're going to do this, we want to do it right. We want it to envision, I'm sorry, to encapsulate all of the elements that um, our father stood for. So 
the environmental, you know, he was one of the, the strongest advocates for uh, environmentally friendly products. Mm. He was obviously very passionate about his charitable work. He was very passionate about songs, songwriting, mm. and the way that it, uh, a song sounds differently to one person to the next, and the ability to share the one love and the one music across uh, across communities, across generations, etc. And so they thought, they thought long and hard about how they wanted to approach this. And when I was brought in, uh, it was, we know what we want to do. We want to do it quickly. We want to do it properly. Okay. And so we pulled together a global team and threw a ton of ideas out there and then quickly whittled those down and whittled those down. And within seven weeks, we pulled together our initial product line of what we wanted to take to market. And what was important about that was that we were able to um, work with factories that understood yeah. what our challenges were. Yeah. And I will say that that was one of the most difficult things was finding factories that could accomplish what we were trying to do as, an, as a, a brand. Yeah. But I will say, then came the challenge of execution. Right. And that is oftentimes where we all falter and fail. Hmm. So it was getting all the family members to approve a hmm. project. Hmm. Then from there, it was also understanding who the consumer was. So it's a very different consumer if you talk to a college-age student versus a person who's been listening to Bob Marley their whole lives and... and followed the movement and is now in their 40s or 50s with much more expendable income. Um, we want to target for, mm. for our situation. It was, it was we want everybody. And that does not work when you have a go-to-market strategy. Mm. And so, again, we needed to take a step back. So even though we had a product line ready pretty quickly, we then had to take a step back and figure out who truly was our target consumer as well as our target uh, retail and e-tail partners mm. because the story changed very differently mm. and with limited resources I would offer up that that's probably an area that many companies fail in mm. can, I, can I ask a question or can, can, um, so, so am I right in in sort of conc in sort of taking this notion where it's quite it was quite an interesting scenario in the fact that um, you were representing the brand so this the Bob Marley brand is a very established brand, if you know, not iconic. So it's it's a very established brand, and you were yeah. working on their behalf. Yes. Um So the question is, in identifying the partners, how did you sort of realize? Did you were they any middle? You, you said you talked to factories. Did you talk to any other sort of independent middlemen? between factories and you know and, and brands or did you just decide to speak to only factories did you select the factories Absolutely. no 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 and, and even with that just to to be completely honest i'm the middleman in this situation okay um i work with consultants day in and day out i i myself have a product development consultancy that focuses a lot on brand licensing mm. and so in this case you've got the manu you've got the distribution distribution partner You've got the the brand owner, who in this case was the Marley family, that was using a third party to license out the name. And then a lot of consultants 
who fall into the space of industrial designers, engineers, material specialists, specialists who focus in on uh, environmentally friendly products, mm. specialists who focus in on sound quality and audio quality. So to me, it was pulling together this team of experts that could that could bring to life the vision that the Marley family had mm. and um, do it in a way that could be marketable and that we could quickly, again, uh, recognize that vision and yeah. grow that vision. How many products did you initially launch um, for, for the brand? Um, that one, I would say that there were probably about uh, 40 different SKUs at launch. Wow. I, I have to go back and look and see what they are today, but it's a pretty it's a pretty substantial brand now today. Wow. wow. So you, you launched 40 products with 40 SKUs. 40 wow. SKUs, yeah. Wow. So, wow. you know, again, you've got different colorways, but we did everything from earbuds to DJ sets to speaker bags. Yeah. Um, and again, like I said, it, I, I think our challenge was that we were trying to be something to everybody mm. and that was what forced us to take a step back and say um we need to make some decisions we need to whittle down the line we need to be much more focused on who we want to talk to and who we want to sell to uh because that's going to change the story dramatically it's going to be beneficial for everybody if we have a greater understanding of who that is. Okay, makes sense, makes a lot of sense. And then how many factories did you eventually whittled it down to? How many factories produced the 40 units? Uh, just a few factories. Just a few factories. So again, you want to make sure, yeah, you know, one of the one of the things that, and this, this goes across any sort of manufacturing, is that you want to make sure that you are full to your factories. Mm. And so if you've got, a few skews here, a few skews there, a few skews there. Um, no factory is going to consider you their top partner. Mm. So on the flip side, you obviously always want to make sure you protect yourself and make sure you've got backup factories um, that you've already established a partnership with. Mm -hmm. But it's um, you know, it, it it's important to make sure I believe that um, you find the right factory partners. Absolutely, absolutely, and I, I suppose um, the factories were, were were in Asia, and the 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 development, the product development was in the, in the U.S. The industrial designers, the material specialists, the sound audio specialists were all in the U.S. I suppose. We actually used a, a quite a global team. So okay. while the product project was being um, uh, led by the U.S. team, mm -hmm. I had designers, engineers, and specialists in Europe. Asia, the U.S., as well as in Mexico. Mm. So, lots of creative so juices coming from around the world. You know, yeah. you get the best possible output rather than restricting absolutely. yourself to a geolocation. Yeah, and that's and why I find with design projects. About, right. What was fun about that particular project and the, the global reach of it was that again, Bob Marley means something a little bit different to people around the globe, and his his brand strength right now is greater globally than it is in the U.S. by numbers, by numbers sure. and by dollars and whatnot. Um, so again, having that input was extremely important for us because we knew that we were representing the global product line for a brand mm. versus a U.S. only base. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so now that you had 40 SKUs ready to go, 
you'd given instructions to factories. Um, did the factories themselves buy the licensing from the Mali family or did the Mali family undertake the manufacturing of the products themselves? Um, no, no, no. We The factories would never touch licensing. That's, that's all owned by uh, the company that was distributing the product. Gotcha. Okay. So how many distribution yeah. partners did you eventually have? Uh, you mean how many retail locations is it in? Oh, oh, so you had one distribution partner. And one distribution partner. Gotcha. So Correct. they 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 got the license from the Marley family. Um, Correct. From the from the brand basically, and Correct. and then okay okay and then then did did they determine the factory or did you have to say you can only work with these factories? We we as a group collectively came up with who the factory uh, partner was going to be. Oh wow! Okay, okay. So they just buy from so the. Right came to evaluation of many things. It was who can actually execute on the product that we've designed, who has the best quality, who can give us the best pricing, or not necessarily the best pricing, but the mm-hmm. pricing that's going to meet our needs. Um, who's going to be a long-term partner versus uh, maybe a partner that. You know, oftentimes whenever you're evaluating partnerships, there's going to be somebody who's a little bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that they're they're the proper partner for you. Exactly. And then there's also going to be the partner that is the premium premium mm. also doesn't mean that they're going to be the proper partner for you. Mm. Okay, so so who, who are your clients? Was it the distribution partner or was it the, the, the brand owner? In, in this case, it was, it was the distribution partner. It was the distribution partner. Okay, got it now. I get yeah. it. Okay, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And then um, did you have any visibility with regards to the retail outlets eventually, how they pre-selected the retail yeah. outlets? Yeah, so again, um, you know, in this case, the, the, the distribution, my client trusts, trusted me to come into those meetings. Doesn't always happen. No. But they trusted me to come into those meetings and to, uh, in fact, uh, present on behalf of the brands and the distribution center, mainly because that way I could help to, um, to then pull together what the uh, product line should be for the future. So one of the things that's very important to me as a person, but also as a, um, a, a, a brand manager and a product manager, going back to my initial, the initial conversation where we started this, is understanding the voice of the consumer, but also understanding the voice of the customer. So that is your barrier of entry. If the customer is saying to you that they cannot, um, that they would not put something in that's above a certain price point, mm. or if they're saying to you, "Hey, there's a specific niche that I'm, a specific gap that I'm trying to fill," then for me, it's important to understand where that um, customer, you know, where those opportunities lie, mm-hmm. and then make sure that I'm filling that gap. Okay. It makes sense. It makes sense, and and that's why retail partner selection is important because you you really want to to, to, to merge the customers once you know with with, with well, what you're what we all you need to find those customers and they'll be in specific retail outlets. Uh, yeah, and and it's an interesting world right now. I mean, obviously this is changing. You've got companies like Amazon who've come in and disrupted the entire space, yeah. and but they're not going away. And anybody who thinks that they're going away or that things are going to change is, you know, they're not paying attention. Mm. Amazon itself may not be look the same in a couple of years, 
but the retail environment has changed and it's it won't go back. Mm-hmm. I, I, have, I have several customer or clients up to right now that um, are struggling with this, and especially from a, a retail price point perspective and the ability to control information and to control um, that's it's changed, mm-hmm. or even the way that we market products, traditional advertising as it exists, no longer it's no longer the same story. And so things like bloggers and influencers and social media are as important to your marketing strategy as uh, a traditional advertising or PR plan might be. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, And, you know, a significant chunk of listeners are, um, yeah, well, have active Amazon, you know, stores, and they're just, yes. and and you're just going into their heads. I'm I'm sure they're thinking, you know, how could we, you know, um, accelerate the sales of of our products by um, you know, by 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 hiring or getting you know brand licensing, um, that align with um with our existing customer base on Amazon. Um, I've, last right. time I checked, I think six out of every ten online, you know, um retail physical product retail transactions actually occur on amazon in the u.s which is really yeah. scary um it was five out of ten last year it's now six out of ten from a new report well and, um, and then in any of your any of your custom or i'm sorry any of your listeners who actually um work with amazon <coughs> know that the the conversations between amazon have changed quite a bit in the past year or two um Traditionally, it's been a little bit more loosey-goosey, but Amazon's trying to rein in a little bit, and they've even gone up and have been competing in private label, which is something that we would never have um, seen coming, is that all of a sudden, uh, the things that we always thought we were protected against uh, have become our bigger challenges, where uh, Amazon went from being very down on our radar to being our number one uh, customer yeah. in certain brands oh, and really? certain product lines. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Overnight. So they're, they're buying licensing, licensees yeah. from, from, oh, from yeah. brand owners yeah. and just selling like direct to consumer. Wow. Yes. Um, but now they're, they're competing and they're saying, okay, well, we don't necessarily need the license need, good. Mm. We've, if we come out with an Amazon-based product, again, it's a changing environment. Yeah, yeah. I suppose there's also the 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 issue with agility. You know, Amazon is you know it's pretty much a mammoth, and um, yeah, the the agility of private label entrepreneurs um, will have to be you know we just have to to rein in effect here if, if they really want to stay two steps ahead of or a step ahead of amazon um they just need yeah. to be really agile getting the license and seeing things you know seeing trends you know emerging brands and you know just you know taking some risks some really big risk if you you know if, if you see a, a brand that you know you think will be doing well in the next one or two years you know just jump at it you know try and um, approach them i right I, I have a question with regards to um your advice to retailers for instance people who are in in the retail game they probably own you know an online retail store or they're selling on marketplaces such as amazon um that want to become distribution partners what advice would you give them having given that you know all your clients are distribution partners um for 
for AHA product solutions. Um, what advice would you give them to make, not necessarily a pivot, but to, to, to expand um, towards becoming, you know, um, you know, um, um, yeah, brand <clears throat> pretty much, um, yeah, um, yeah, brand distribute well, distribution partners in, in that sense, or, you know, people who actually buy licenses. Right. So, so just a slight correction there. Some of my clients are, um, are distribution partners, but even with a, Right now, it's interesting. I'm working with a handful of startups um, that are facing the same challenges, um, you know, where they've got a great product concept and they're trying to get it from this infantile stage through mm. production and onto shelf. And uh, so, again, it's, it's a different set of challenges when you're talking about a startup who's got limited resources, who doesn't have the ability necessarily to come out there and make a, a, a huge brand statement or to pay the prices that retailers, quite frankly, are, are asking for. They don't have the ability to support with advertising or this mm -hmm. or that. And so I think, you know, my, my advice would be to notice, to, to watch the changing retail environment. So with some of my startup clients, for instance, they're less concerned with ever selling to a physical retail space. They'd rather sell online. They'd rather sell through Amazon. They'd rather sell through... Uh, all these other online um, online outlets mm -hmm. uh, with some of the other brands where they maybe need that volume. Mm -hmm. It's a different story because then again, they don't have the ability to launch initially online and through Amazon because they need that retailer support. Gotcha. So my advice would be understand what you need and where you see that brand vision going. Um, you know, it, it used to be back in the day that you needed to have retail partners. So we would never launch a physical product if we didn't already have a retail partner in place. Mm -hmm. um, nowadays, that conversation has changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. So it's it's really down to, to, to understanding what distribution would look like eventually. Absolutely. Okay, um, just really quickly, if you can, how did you turn huh. around the Four Pores um, brand for Central Garden and Pets? So, very interesting story. So, Four Paws um, was a, a strong brand in pet specialty back in um, you know, the 80s and 90s. And I, I like to always equate it to um, the guy on the street with a trench coat where you could buy a cell phone or a watch or a dog treat. Okay. Uh, they were a little bit of something to everybody and they were great. Yeah. Great, great, great at what they did for their time. Very innovative. Um, and and they, they built their business on relationships. They were then purchased by a larger conglomerate and uh, left to run themselves. But I would just say that they were um, a brand that had still this this old school loyal customer base, but um, had not kept up with the times. Mm. And so um, I, I was given the opportunity, a bit of a Hail Mary, if you will, to come in and look at the line and say, what, um, what can we do with not a lot of resources, not a lot of time and not a lot of money? How could we potentially make this brand relevant again? And so we went out and we started talking to consumers and to understand um, in, in a couple of their key categories. So first off, we 80-20'd the line and said, where can we actually play? Where has become commoditized? Where do we actually have the ability to innovate? 
where do we have a consume a loyal consumer base that will um, that will follow us through this? And so we chose a couple of categories. One of which that I'll talk about in this example is um, the grooming category. And so what we found was that when consumers were buying shampoo for their for their pets, specifically for their dogs, uh, they were buying on one of two things. One was um, price. One was on scent. So we weren't going to win in the pricing. But when it came down to it, there were a couple of companies that did really well in scent. Um, but we had the ability, because of some of our groomer partners, to actually create a line that was more specific to issue-based solutions. So going back to what would make a consumer not just switch over to the Four Paws brand, but also could potentially... Um, bring in more than just the the shampoo sale a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. And so we went back and we said, okay, well, what are the biggest issues? What are the top breeds? And we created um, a curated solution that said, if your dog has, for instance, long curly hair and it sheds, here are the tools you need. Here's the shampoo you need. Here's a conditioner you need. Here okay. is Temperate. some other item that would be great for your dog. So again, it became more about serving the needs of the pet and the pet parent versus it becoming this pricing game. And what we found was that this really spoke to not just the pet parents, but also our retail partners, because now they could actually put out their uh, a complete product line. So rather than us losing all the space, which was happening time and time and time and time again, um, we actually kicked out most of our competitors, and sales were up. Um, last I checked, about four hundred and fifty percent year over year. Because again, it was understanding what those consumer needs were, understanding what a customer would want, and why that customer would want any additional product in this very oversaturated set, and then understanding from a manufacturing perspective how we could address some of those challenges. Absolutely. Just just looking at the, the needs of the customers and, and you know, um, creating a package, a solution which really speaks to, to their needs. Now, right. So, so could, how did you, could you just really quickly break down on the customer, on how you got customer feedback? Because that, that to me was the foundation of, of the success of, of the turnaround. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, again, in this day and age, things have changed so dramatically. Listen, you can go on right now, you could go onto Amazon and find out everything Confused. you could ever want about your uh, competitive marketplace. People are so willing to give their opinions. Um, then you've got simple tools like uh, SurveyMonkey and Google Analytics and a lot of very inexpensive methodologies that didn't exist uh 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but then there's a tried and true, you know, I'll give another example, a brand I was working on, um, <clears throat> we just did a simple ethnographic study, all we did was we went into um, the homes of 20 different people who were already buying a similar product and understood where they kept the product, how it was in their home, how they were integrating with it, we watched them open up a box, it's amazing, yeah, if so you much. can take a step back, how much you can actually gain from that tribal knowledge of just um, observing. Gotcha. And then, of course, there's your traditional market research 
avenues, which obviously always will be important. Mm -hmm. But I think, again, in this day and age, especially with some of your more entrepreneurial listeners um, who don't necessarily have the research budgets to go out and do a a multi-million dollar brand study, um, that information is out there. It's out there. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, that, I think, that pretty much, yeah, is pretty much exhaustive. Um, and <laughs> we, we, I, 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 I have come, I've, I've come out of this a much more knowledgeable man. So <laughs> thank you so much, Ellie. That's all I was hoping for. <laughs> on, on brand licensing. Um, but before you go, I, I'd always like to ask you five to six questions, lightning round. Um, I just expect a, a simple sentence to answer. Yeah. It's called my lightning round to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. Right. Are you ready? Ready when you are? I'm ready. Okay. What are your future plans? So I actually just launched a company called Bloom Bras and it's been my baby. It's been something I've wanted to do forever. So that's my, uh, that's my passion project. Amazing. I saw the Kickstarter campaign page. You raised, you, you raised it. You've got customers and, you know, I would link to it on the show notes. Very, very good stuff. Thank right. you. Fantastic. How do you hire people? Based on skills and fit. So it's not necessarily the resume. It's really the conversation mm. and where, what skills people bring to the table as well as what type of passion they've got. Passion and skills, fantastic. What are your three indispensable tools for managing your businesses? My cell phone with all of my notes, my contact list with my extensive network, and Mm -hmm. my ability to, in the middle of the day, take a walk and refresh my brain. Fantastic, good stuff. What's been your best mistake to date? By that I mean a setback that's given you the biggest feedback. I've had several product launches that I would say were failures in terms of financial, mm-hmm. um, but huge learning experiences for me. Okay. Okay. All right. Could you give one, well, actually, just this is final one. Um, could you choose a single book or resource that's made the highest impact on how you view building a business and, and growth? Which would it be if you could choose just one single book or resource? I really enjoyed the Lean Startup. Mm, Eric Reese, yeah. Okay, okay. Fantastic, fantastic. Again, um, Alice, it's been an absolute, absolute pleasure having you on the show. I would link to both your um, your consultancy, AHA Product Solutions, and um, the the um, the Bloom Bras, which I'll link to them in the show notes. What would be the best way for listeners to follow through if they wanted to, you know, catch up with you at some point? I would just say again, uh, contact me at Elise at bloombras.com or Elise at ahaproductsolutions.com on LinkedIn. I'm E-L-Y-S-E-K-A-Y-E and I would love to hear from anybody. Fantastic, fantastic. So over to you guys. Thank you guys for sticking to the very end of this episode and hope you learned a thing or two about brand licensing from Elise. It's from my takeaway from this is getting to understand the customers well, understand the customer base, build products around it and look for how to find brands that align with both your customer base and the products you've aligned you know um that that meets um that market um until the next year everybody do have a fantastic one cheers